You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Today, another special guest, former Washington General Manager Charlie Cashley, who of course is now with the NFL Network. He talks about Washington's offseason, the new front office setup, and why he thinks it's a good one. And we, of course, discuss quarterbacks and much more. And also a little throwback to the trade back in the day that involved Ricky Williams and Champ Bailey and how that all came about, etc. Anyway, you can follow Charlie on Twitter at Charlie Castling. It's C-H-A-R-L-E-Y-C-A-S-S-E-R-L-Y. And of course, you can read my work on ESPN.com. I have a story up now about Ron Rivera discussing the quarterback situation, all things quarterbacks right now for Washington. Leading up to the draft, I'm going to be posting bonus podcasts once a week with various players talking about their draft day experience. If you didn't listen to the first one, give it a go. It's with John Jansen and Chris Thompson. It's 10 minutes. You're in and out real quick. And I think it's an enjoyable listen. So give it a a shot there. And next week, it'll be Brian Mitchell who's going to be on with me. It's fun to go back and hear what those experiences were like for them. Before I play my conversation with Charlie, I wanted to go over a couple things. I'll start with Dan Snyder's ownership situation. Now, I did talk with Mike Jones on his podcast about all this. So if you want a full conversation on this topic, give that a listen. But kind of briefly here, I don't think this signals much of a change for Snyder in terms of what he can or can't do. He's always had the power, of course, but I do think what he loses without the other minorities, owners, are guys with excellent business backgrounds. Dwight Shar was a constant presence and Robert Rothman was one as well. He was with Snyder at the Combine last year, for example. I think losing that certainly doesn't help. Now, he didn't have it this past season either. And as Mike and I discussed, Snyder no longer has his pals in the organization, the guys he would call to have them come over and hang out with, even if it meant taking them away from their families on the weekend or if they were on trips or whatever. Yes, that, that's what would happen. And so how that go, plays out for him as this whole thing moves forward, we'll see. He's also maybe stepped back more from the organization, at least stepped back from being in the office on a day-to-day basis, where maybe that's not quite as big a deal. We'll see. And unless there's some real damning stuff in the invest in that independent investigation, which you know, hasn't been turned in the NFL yet, I've never really expected Snyder to be removed from ownership. I'm sure it's been a tough go for those involved on the other end to relieve some of this, and I feel for them. As a reporter, what I found is that those in the league based on what they currently know, would not vote to to kick him out. That's been consistent. And a lot of these owners don't want anyone looking into their business. That's the bottom line. So they're not about to set a precedent of kicking someone out who many consider a bad owner. There are a lot of bad owners in this league. And I have talked to people, and I said this on Mike's podcast, you know, I'm sure he has too, that there are some, you know, I've heard of some owners who would like to 
to not have them in the league, but there's no reason for them to vote that way at this point. So that's why the approval of the sale wasn't a surprise. Now we await the final information from that investigation. Moving on. Rivera met with the media via Zoom on Thursday and among the highlights, he didn't rule out drafting a quarterback, which as I've been telling you is no surprise. That has absolutely 1000% been on the table from the time they signed Ryan Fitzpatrick. The key here is also that Rivera does not feel pressure to find that quarterback of the future now, which is good because that's how you lessen mistakes. Drafting out of desperation never ends well. Rivera also said, but like I said, I can tell you, guarantee that they're going to be looking strongly to draft one. Rivera, but as he said in there, in the, in the Zoom conference, things have to fall right. The guy that you want has to be there. So that's not the, that's the hard part to, to really control. Rivera also said he wanted to have competition at quarterback, but make no mistake, Ryan Fitzpatrick enters as the heavy, heavy favorite to end up as the starter, of course. And while there was no competition last year, this is a totally different situation. Now, I will say Rivera said it was a mistake not to have that last year, but Fitzpatrick has a proven track record, unlike Dwayne Haskins, whom they are trying to get ready for the season in a summer with no preseason games. So it's a totally different situation. But it's never a bad thing to keep an open mind because Fitzpatrick is what he is. You never know, right? I think it'll be hard to get a quarterback at 19. So a day two guy remains on the table, of course. At this point, I still would favor Kyle Trask for them. This, of course, could always change as we get closer to, um, the, the, to the draft. Rivera also said they haven't talked to guard Brandon Sheriff about a new contract since he signed the franchise tag. They've been a bit busy, so that's not too surprising. But I also think it will be difficult to keep him. As one league source told me a couple months ago, that ship has sailed. Strange things can happen, but Sheriff has turned down multiple offers, some of which would have made him the highest paid guard in the league. Now, I don't know the entire structure of those deals, so it's hard to say exactly what they were and what he was turning down. But the point is, it's been tough to get a long-term deal done. I think it's going to be tough to continue to get one done. Again, it just takes one, it just takes one offer, the right offer, or the right moment where Sheriff wants to say yes. And I, and I would always say in a contract negotiation, it's always going to take two to get it done. So we'll see where this goes. Sticking with the offensive line, Rivera said they've used Sadiq Charles as a tackle or a guard. Again, that's consistent from what I've heard all along, and not just what I've heard, but what they've said since they drafted him. However, what I also know is they want to find a starting left tackle, and the first spot they did work him at was left guard. And left tackle is definitely in play for this draft. So barring a change, I still see them trying to find a left tackle and giving Charles a shot to open at left guard, but they've always felt he could play both. And I think the key here is if they don't get the left tackle they like in the draft, what do they do? Because you still have guys like Alejandro Villanueva who is out there that if, if he's still available after the draft, maybe you, maybe you look at him or do you give Charles a shot there and just see what you got and, and see, see what you can piece together with that group. Um, I also asked Charlie about the front office setup, but Revere talked about it as well and harped on the experience of both men, meaning Martin Mayhew and Marty Herney. Revere relayed a conversation about a particular player, didn't say who, where between Mayhew and Herney, they could elevate the conversation to another level, and it forced Revere to go back and watch some film on the player to see what they were seeing. And listen, I think Kyle Smith is an excellent evaluator. I think he should rise to being a GM someday. I'm not going to change that opinion, 
but I do think this setup can work well for Washington. Rivera trusts experience, and that's what they have in this front office. Also, there's another former GM here in Chris Pulling. It helps, too, that Herney doesn't want to be a GM anymore. There's certainly that's why he's in the role he's in. So it's not as if he's trying to get Mayhew's job and will try to undercut him because that, of course, goes on in this league. I think that's a key point. So, I, you know, I, they're off to a good start. See where it goes. Finally, Washington still wants to find a left tackle, a linebacker, a tight end, free safety, and a running back in addition to a future quarterback. They added a dual returner, DeAndre Carter, but he does have eight career fumbles, seven on punt returns. So I'm going to have to wait and see with him. He's bounced around quite a bit. This is his eighth franchise. So I'm not looking at that one as problem solved. And also, I think receiver still remains a little bit on the table with Ankeel Harry monitoring that situation. As far as free safety, you got people have asked me a few times. So I'm going to repeat it again. And I've been saying this for about a month that Trey Boston would be an option after the draft when you see what you still need. Uh, so there, there you go. That's it from me. After this break, I'll be back with former Washington GM Charlie Cashley. Where does he place Washington in the NFC East after the early part of the offseason? What's up? It's Mike Jones from the Football Jones Podcast. I know you're enjoying your time with the John Kime Report, but once you're done, I want to invite you to come over and check out my podcast. Each week, we take a deep dive into some of the most pressing topics around the NFL. High-profile guests from the coach, player, and front office ranks, as well as the top league insiders. Check out the Football Jones Podcast, another fine product brought to you by Empire Media. Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with Charlie Castle. All right, Charlie, before I get to Washington's offseason, I do want to start with What's going on now with the pro day stuff? Because every, you know, without the combine, they've taken on a greater importance and everything's televised now and everything's parsed and all that. What are the things that matter most to you when seeing like somebody's pro day? And what are the things that tend to get overrated? Well, I, I'll tell you what, and, and uh, I'm guessing a little bit on this, uh, these unofficial times. I mean, these, these are times not necessarily done by your, your club. Uh, that's one thing. Um, each player is a little bit different. We can say specifics, but you want to get a 40 time because you don't have that. You want to get a height and weight because you don't have that. So, so that's important. Now, the problem is, is the, my, when I'm looking at these 40 times, they seem too fast to me. Like I watch the players on tape and, and they don't play that fast. So that's going to be something that you're going to have to adjust to. Now, if you just take these times cold, you're liable to make some mistakes. Now, you're guessing when you watch the tape, uh, but you're going to have to put that together and, and judge the players, and, and, and that's going to be uh, hard to do. Now, the other thing is you'll go into these uh, pro days uh, to get the basic information and then watch the workouts, uh, but sometimes you have specific things you want to see in drills, and are you going to be able to see them? And maybe you're not going to be able to see them. And uh, like in New England, uh, did a lot of individual workouts. Now, right now, you're not supposed to do that. So um, you miss something by doing those individual workouts because you get to spend that individual time with the players. So um, it's it's not a perfect world, but you are getting to see them uh, live. Now, the other thing is indoors, people look faster. Quarterbacks have no wind to throw against. Their arm looks better indoors. So you know, mentally, you're going to have to adjust to some of those things. But at least getting the player to move and see him move live and be able to have the uh, uh, some kind of form of measurables 
Uh, I mean, that that is a plus. With the quarterbacks specifically, because there's so much attention on them with every throw they make, what do you, what, again, what matters to you when you're evaluating them just off their pro day? Well, to be honest with you, I, I don't think you, we, we put much emphasis into what we saw on a pro day because it was a scripted workout. He, tra- he practiced it, okay? Right. Uh, you you want to see him make all the throws. You want to see the arm strength live, the quickness of release. It's better to see that live. The body build is important. But so much of the quarterbacks is the mental part of it, you know, putting them on the board, uh, which, you know, they're doing this all by Zoom now. And, and, and I guess they, they say they can function that way. But to me, it's, it's not the same as having the guy in the room. The vibe is different there. But, you know, this is what you have to work with. So um, the throwing part of the uh, is, is overrated uh, because, again, it's scripted. Arm strength, quickness of release. We want to see that live indoors. It looks better than outdoors uh, with the arm strength. But the, getting the mental part is the huge part of it and judging the character and leadership. How do you look at this quarterback class? Because there's been, again, so much attention focused on it, and there's a lot of uncertainty outside of the first pick. How do you rate this quarterback class? Trevor Lawrence, okay? He, he's number one. This guy's a once-in-generational player. Uh, he's got all the physical tools. Uh, this guy has won. Uh, he's accurate with the football. People say, well, you know, he didn't play as well in the bigger games. Well, you watch the tape, and, and he's trying to make some plays at that point in time. I, I think he, he's a certain number one, going to have an excellent career. Uh, then you go to uh, BYU, okay? and you got Zach Wilson. All right, now Zach, to me, uh, I, I like everything on tape. The biggest thing to me is his anticipation. That's the number one thing you see is anticipation. In other words, being able to uh, read the blitz, get it out on time, read the defense, and he's better than Daniel Jones doing that, and Daniel Jones is very good at that. Uh, he can move outside the pocket. He can make plays. Uh, arm looks good enough on tape. Uh, you, you sit there and say, okay, he's really had one good year of production. Well, I'm told he was injured and played hurt last year. They say, well, the level of comp isn't good. Well, we know that, but it's better than North Dakota State. Okay? <laughs> Which is, you know, uh, Carson Wentz went too, and I know he's got traded, but he might bounce back. See, he played well for a while. Um, so he's my second guy. Then uh, I, I go to Fields, and, and Lance is the next two. And, and I'm drawing a line after Lawrence Fields, a uh, lot of physical ability. Uh, compared to Mahaskins, he's more accurate, better athlete, can make more plays running and outside the pocket with athletic ability. Um, anticipation, seeing it, he holds the ball a little bit too long. Uh, you've got to work that out. When you meet him, look at the tape. Uh, maybe you adjust some things in the offense to him. So uh, the last I like, but uh, the accuracy to me is, is a little bit inconsistent. Uh, arm strength, athletic ability, ability to run, make plays, uh, all that's positive. We know he didn't play this year, but we, we've seen guys not play their senior year and still be able to play. Uh, and I think that'll be proven this year uh, with, with many of these draft choices uh, that, that are going to come out that, that have missed the top guys that have missed this past year. All right, Mac Jones of Alabama. Now, when I collected grades, most of them were, you know, Maybe late first, but mostly second round grades from teams. And I've got about 10 teams, see. Um, I watched the tape. I thought he's very efficient. Knows where to go with the football. When it breaks down where he has to be an athlete, it wasn't quite as good. When there's pressure, he wasn't quite as good. I saw him as Andy Dalton, who went high in the second round and had his above average career. Uh, One of the quotes I got on him was he delivers the mail. 
In other words, he gets the ball to the right spot. So what you have to me is you have, you know, the first two quarterbacks uh, in this, in this Lawrence and uh, Wilson, and you draw a line. Then uh, Mac Jones is kind of off to the side, see? Uh, and then Fields and Lance have got a lot of ability, but you've got questions on them. So it, it kind of gets muddled to me after that. Now, San Francisco has bet the house on the third pick in the draft. So to me, they either got inside information that the Jets are going to pass on Lawrence and they take him, or they fall in love with Mac Jones. And, uh, you know, Shanahan will pick his guy and go. We know know what his thinking is in Washington, having been around him. Um, I don't think he takes Fields, and I don't think he takes Lancer three. With with Washington, um, how important do you feel it is for them to get a quarterback of the future in in this draft? Well, it's important, but you can see that they're patient and they're not going to force things. And that's really smart because you're going to make better decisions. They got, they got a Fitz. He'll give him a year and Fitz can, Fitz can play well. And then he'll have some stretches where you're going to right. you'll not understand why he made that throw. Okay. <laughs> you know, and over the last couple of years here, I mean, he had a stretch with Tampa where I think he had three, maybe games of 400 yards in a row. Um, he made some great, uh, you know, uh, plays here with Miami over the last two years to win some big games for him. Okay, so uh, but but he's a smart guy. They like him because he knows the system and they'll run the system. Okay, now you got to be careful with that because you overrate some guy and his ability to do it, and then he can't get the ball there. Okay, right. Fitz can still get the ball. He's a leader. Uh, he'll rally the locker room. Everybody will love him. Um, and, uh, you know, they need some more weapons, especially at a tight end. But uh, I understand what they got with Fitz. Mills of Stanford, okay, he's a guy I kind of like in the middle rounds. And, and maybe maybe he's going to be a second before all this is done. A lot of talent, a little inconsistency, but uh, uh, I like that guy. That, that's the guy I like after the first round. I think you're right. He's going to be a guy that kind of I think is you're going to hear his name more as we progress. What about guys like a, a Kyle Trask, a Kellen Mond? How, what do you think of those guys? Well, Mond is more down the line to me. Trask is a guy that is again smart guy, knows where to go with the football, has some inconsistencies uh, on him. Uh, not a top arm. Uh, see him like in the next level. Um, if I'm watching guys like that that come out, like an Andy Dalton, I thought Dalton was better in college. Okay. So can he be a starter? Yeah, but 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 I, I don't rate him as a starter right now. So they they almost have that luxury, like because the th- I know that they want to get a quarterback, but they do have that luxury because of Fitzpatrick, where if the guy's not there, you don't have to force it, and you can try again next year. Is that kind of how you see it? Uh, yeah, exactly. And and I'm that, sure that's the way they're going to approach it there. And you know the guy here. Uh, Taylor Heinke, Hanky. Okay. Now you can't, you can't sit there and say you solved your problem with him, but he did play well. Right. You know, the guy that he reminded me of, and and this is crazy is Doug Flutie. Now Flutie, (laughs) when he first came to the NFL struggled, you know, we, we beat him, uh, in 86 and Flutie was a quarterback and and we just smothered the guy and kept him in the pocket. He couldn't make plays because of his height. He goes to Canada. And he really and, and he becomes a pretty decent quarterback. And he came back and he and he had some good years um, as, as a shorter guy. And when it, you watch him play, uh, Hanky knows where. The first thing is he knew where to go with the ball. And you know his arm looked good enough. He was an athletic guy, could make plays. So 
I'm not sure how he holds up over 16 games. So, so I get that, but um, he's kind of a little bit of a wild card to me. I like him better than Kyle Allen. Yeah. And I, you know, it's funny because <clears throat> I think like with, with Heineke too, I agree with you that if you don't get him, you can see how, it, how does he develop? Does he develop at all? And into what, to what level, but I'm certainly not going to rely on the fact that he is going to develop, but to me, he's kind of an intriguing player because of that with, with Curtis Samuel, that with Washington signing Curtis Samuel, how do you see him fitting in here? Well, uh, let's start with the bottom line. Slot, gimmick, um, running by, or wide receiver, jet sweep. And those get him the ball. He, he, right. he makes plays when you get him the ball. Now, he did line up outside, and he can run by some people. I don't know if he's an accomplished runner outside, but you can uh, line him up out there, and he can run by some people. Well, that's important, okay? Uh, it gives you a, a, a deep threat there, uh, which, I mean, they're still looking for one. Well, excuse me, they're not looking for one. They're looking for a solid number two because they've got the deep threat in McLaurin. Right. And McLaurin is, is, is a guy that um, double coverage. you got to double this guy, see? And uh, uh, I don't know. Teams respect him. I don't think he gets the publicity he should get. But he's a true number one guy that you have to double. He's Diggs, see? Okay? If you're trying to compare him. Diggs got better hands. Right. Um, but he's Diggs. He has that impact on your offense. So Samuel is best in the slot. Get the ball in his hands. Run after the catch is very good. Um, you'll see the Jets sweep with him. And above all, they know the guy and know how to use him. And that's huge when you get a free agent. Uh, so I don't think they overvalued him. Uh, I think they know what he is. I think you still got to be looking for another receiver. But you got better. Do you like that they got Humphreys too? Because they, you know, obviously with Samuel, he can play in the slot and that's where he's probably best. Then you get a true slot in Humphreys. And it seemed like that that was something they wanted too to kind of maybe diversify the offense even more. Did you like that pickup? Yeah, I liked it because, first of all, uh, Samuel can line up outside. And so he, and you're going to have to defend the deep ball with him. So that loosens up the coverage. Okay. Um, Humphreys has had some really good seasons as a slot guy. He's quick, can separate. Um, so, I liked it, and uh, they got better. In other words, now all of a sudden you're better at receiver than you were a year ago. And, you know, um, with with also, you know, they go out and get William Jackson the third at corner. What did you think of that move? He was the best corner on the, on the market. He's a press corner, and they know that, and they'll use him that way. Um, it allows them to play more man coverage. With their pass rush, you're not going to have to cover all day uh, if you can get up there and press. So he's got speed. Uh, he's a good press guy. Um, you know, ball skills, I don't know. There may be a little problem with that. But Byron Jones, he has below average ball skills uh, with the Dolphins and with the, previously with the Cowboys. But he is a, he's a good press corner. So uh, uh, sometimes I don't want to say ball skills are overrated, but you better be able to cover them first. Okay? <laughs> right. Keep it simple. And this guy is a very good press corner. And they know that. So I don't think you're going to see this guy play uh, a lot often, man. He will, they will, as you know, though, like they will mix things up a little bit. So what for him going to playing in a zone? And I think it's, it's almost becoming like he can't play zone. Well, he's played zone. We've seen him play zone, but what's the big transition for a guy who's really good impressed man to going to playing a zone? What's, what's the transition or what's, what's the big adjustment there for him? The big adjustment is, is really uh, uh, the reading patterns, I think uh, about when to, you know, go take the man deep or, or when to let him go. You know, I think that's probably the biggest adjustment, number one. And the way they play zone, they keep the ball in front of them, all right? 
So your breaks are forward. Um, and, and see, Darby actually played well in the system. Uh, and, th- and, th- and Denver will use the same kind of the system that, that they had here. So he'll play well there. Darby and man coverage, double moves. That was the book oh, on him. And, and, yeah. and he got beat. And, and, and you saw him kind of fall apart in, in the Tampa playoff game. Um, so as long as this guy can keep the ball in front of him in the zone, uh, then, then he'll be all right because he's breaking forward. It's when he has to backpedal, turn his hips, and make sudden moves. That's when he struggles some. And I, I really like Jackson when he's playing. When you can see it when he's in press man, he plays well in traffic, handles the pick pick routes well. Um, and, you know, he, it's funny because it's almost like, you know, he's like a defensive or playing, you know, in basketball trying to go through a pick. He's able to make himself small, squeeze through that, and he has the length to, to knock stuff down. So there's a lot of good stuff to like with him, it seems. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and he's and he's an upgrade. What about with their front office? Because you know, you know this front office well because you were here with Marty Ernie. You you had you had Martin Mayhew as a player. And what do you what did you think of the setup that of the setup that they now have? I think there's two things. One, everybody knows who's in charge. It's Ron. Period. Okay. The second thing is um, you've got. I, I think both of them kind of know the drill in the building. Uh, you know, Marty's been with Ron a long time. Uh, Martin knows that. I think that uh, both guys respect each other. Uh, both guys uh, uh, will work within work within the confines of a system in the building, and uh, and Ron's in charge. So I, I I think it'll work good. Basically, what they've done, okay, is and, and bringing in a Chris Polian, they've collected three ex general managers, okay, um, who all are are good at what they do, and uh, so you what you got is you got a committee there. And you got Eric Stokes involved, and I don't know, I don't know the rest of the people. See, um, and and Ron's in charge, and they they'll all know how Ron thinks after a certain amount of time. Martin will learn that, okay, and uh, they'll they'll know what the philosophy is, um, and they'll work together well. The thing you have is you have guys that uh, are going to be loyal, and they're all going to know quote their place in the structure, and 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 that's what's important, okay. So no one's looking to get a headline here. Why is that so important? It's important for, first of all, we know who's in charge, Ron. So, you know, Marty and uh, and, and Chris, Chris is late to the show, um, and uh, Martin, they've all been general managers, okay? And so all of a sudden now, hey, I'm in charge. Well, no, you're not in charge. Ron's in charge. And everybody has to work together as a team. And it's going to be a team effort. Uh, and so not having somebody kind of have the ego that, A, they got to be in charge, or two, not know exactly what the, what their place is, that we're a team. We're not, not, not to me, they're, they're not a structure. They're a team. They're a committee is the way I, way I would look at it here. Um, and, and, and so far, it's worked very well. You know, and it's funny because like you always hear, too, it's important for them, to, the front office and coaching staff, to be on the same page. Because as you know, when it's not, it can be very tough. And it, it feels like it's certainly, you know, I thought last year, I think, you know, this offseason, it certainly feels like they're on that same page because they're getting guys who fit what they want to do. Right, exactly. Well, I, I also want to ask you, because this was in the news the other day, which was Dan Snyder buying the rest of the, you know, being approved to buy out his minority investors. What did you make of the unanimous vote? And obviously with that investigation, None of we're not privy to what's going on with that, so it's hard to really talk about that part of it. 
but do you what do you read into the owners approving him the way they did? Well, I haven't asked anybody about it. Just looking at it, um, owners seem to uh, uh, back other owners. You know, it's his club. If this is what he wants to do, that's fine. So I, I, I kind of look at it as that situation. So uh, uh, it's his club. That's what he wants to do. That's fine. And do you, do you, I mean, do you read into it at all, like how they may perceive that investigation? Or do you think that's just completely separate? I think the investigation is totally separate. These are two totally separate entities. Uh, they don't know anything about the investigation. Uh, I don't know the, I don't know how it works. If it's a negative conclusion, what, what happens then other than a fine or, or some kind of club discipline? Uh, I don't know that uh, they can force somebody to sell a team. I read that they can, but but I really don't know that. And and we don't. And I think we both know, like a lot of these owners would be reluctant to force somebody to sell unless there's really damning evidence of something directly on him. And that's kind of what I've always heard from other people. Um, is that kind of your read on that? Yeah, because I think the owners, first of all, pass it to the commissioner, um, and you know we're going to run our club, and we paid the money. Don't tell us uh, that we have to sell the club. Okay. So, uh, because once you're told that, well, then the value goes down. Okay. So, right. Even though the values are all very high right now. Last thing I want to ask you about, and this is going back down memory lane, but it goes back to the, the um, Ricky Williams trade. But I did want to ask you, is we got the draft coming up. Yeah. What do you remember about that day and that deal? Well, I, I remember a lot. Okay. Uh, when Ditka announced that uh, he was going to trade uh, his whole draft for Ricky Williams, I called the general manager, Billy Koharik, immediately. I said, put us in line, okay? And we kept in touch with them. And then, you know, things began to fall in place when uh, the Colts traded Marshall Falk, meaning they were going to have to take a running back in front of us. So that was good. That was going to eat up a, a player. So we come to the morning of the draft. And I, uh, I, I called up Billy Kuharik. I had said all along, your draft's not enough because they didn't have a second seat. Okay? So I said, well, I want a first and a third the following year. And that, that, that's second first, meaning the first uh, we were getting uh, that we would use for ultimately to draft a player th- that year. But that future first was a whole key for me. That, that was the key to the DLC. And uh, so they, they, they were along with it. And I, I never knew that they were close with Cincinnati and Cincinnati wouldn't pull the trigger. I never knew that. So I didn't know who else was in the deal. I just knew what we were going to uh, do in the deal. So call him that morning, cemented the deal, uh, called John Cook, who, who still owned the team, uh, told him, okay, here's our option. Uh, we can uh, uh, stay at that uh, place, get a player that uh, uh, Champ Bailey, we hope, will come in and start for us right away, be an impact player, or we can pick up the picks. Now, we're doing this with the idea none of us know if we'll be there tomorrow. Okay? Right. That's it. But John said, and I give him credit, he says, do what's best for the franchise, whether we're there or not, okay, long term. So the best thing was to do the trade, get the pick, see? So as soon as we uh, had that conversation, I got on the phone, and I got Chicago at 7, and because I want to try to move back up. They wanted Cade McNown, and I was able to convince them they could get Cade McNown with our pick, which I think was going to be now 12, okay? So I, ha- I got a deal with them uh, to go to 7. So it's all done before the draft starts. Ricky Williams is still there. We pick. New Orleans calls. We get the deal done. Now we're back. I believe it's a 12. I call Chicago up. Now, now, now they're going to stick it to us. Uh, they changed the deal. Oh. They, want an, they want an extra third. See? 
So put them on hold and basically didn't like it. But, hey, we'll eat the third, and now we're seven. Uh, and then we got to seven, and basically it came down to what the Rams were going to do. And, uh, you know, they took a wide receiver, and then we ended up taking Champ Bailey at that point. Uh, and then we, with the picks we had, we actually, in the second round, we moved up to get John Jansen. Right. Which was critical because he's a 10-year starter there at tackle. We, I think there were 15 picks traded that day that we, that we were involved in. I don't know if anybody's traded 15 picks in, you know, in first round. So, you know, or in those kind of a trades, but uh, it worked out. We knew he was good. Uh, nobody bets on the guy going to the hall of fame and making more pro bowls than the other corner. Right. But we, we, we liked him. It was unanimous and, and everybody was excited to get him. The amazing thing too, is you, nowadays you can text and you have your cell phones and all that. This is done with just the regular old phones. Oh yeah. I, I mean, that's got to make it a little bit more complicated, or at least like, are you getting busy signals? Or, you know what I mean? Like that, it just, it just seems like there's more complications possibly because of that. You know, the answer is yes, but there weren't. Okay. In this case, you're right. But people have direct line. They had direct lines. They have direct lines, I guess now. Uh, so you could get to people because people kept those lines uh, okay. uh, clear. So we were able to do that. But right. There was a lot of phone calls in there and yeah, something could have happened. And I apologize because I did want to ask you, this will be the very last yeah. thing. How do you think Washington rates now in the NFC East? You know, we still have a little bit of ways to go in the offseason, but based on the moves they've made, New York, Dallas, and, and Philly. Well, New York is New York has a dynamic offense if they can protect the quarterback on paper. Now they got to get, you know, Barkley back healthy. Dallas obviously offensively should be uh, uh, better with Dak, getting him back. That That's huge. Defensively, I think they'll be better because they'll be less complicated and won't beat themselves. Philly, Philly's in neutral right now. Okay, Philly's in neutral. So I, I think I would give Washington the edge by a hair. Defensively, they were very well coached. That won't change. Offensively, they should take a step up uh, along the way. But Dallas and the Giants are they're they're, they're coming. So uh, they they could easily. I think the three of those teams are very close. Uh, to yeah. where, and, we'll, and I think they'll all be fighting it out in December. Charlie, I appreciate you joining me. Always enjoy talking to you and your Absolutely. insight. Thank you very much, ma'am. All right, great to be with you, John. Hey, this is Joel Corey from Inside the Cap. I know you're enjoying the John Kahn Report, which gives you insider access to the Washington football team. Everything you want you want to know which is going on with the Washington football team. Once you're done with that, check out my podcast, Inside the Cap, which gives you the ins and outs of the NFL salary cap and player contract negotiations. Check out these two products and other fine podcasts from Empire Media. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Charlie for joining me, and thank you, as always, for listening. I'll be back with former Washington tight end Logan Paulson on Monday for another episode. We dig deep at several key positions for Washington entering the draft based on his film study and what he's hearing from friends in the league. I've told you folks before, but Paulson is one of the brightest players I've covered and a really good evaluator. So I'll talk to you next time.